Section 2 of Stories from the Adirondacks by Albert A. Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 2 Adventures of Camp Life. There were five of us in the party, and we were camped on the shores of a beautiful pond away back among the Adirondack Mountains and were enjoying a week's fishing in the vicinity. There were Richard Longworth and Thomas Statton, two young dry-goods merchants from New York, who were on their first visit to the mountains, Old Saul Hallway and Dave Bryan, two Adirondack guides, and the fifth person was the humble writer of this book. Longworth and Statton were stopping at a popular summer resort, and I, being in the vicinity a considerable portion of my time, became acquainted with them in some way. Being desirous of spending some part of their vacation in fishing, they asked me one day what the prospects were for getting some trout. I proposed to them that we procure a guide, camp out, and do some night fishing in one of the ponds in the vicinity. After talking the matter over, we decided that we would ask both Old Saul and Brian to accompany us. We hired a tent and camping utensils, also two boats, and a team to convey us and our duffel to a pond where our guide said we were apt to have good success. We staked our camp there, and were soon doing a flourishing business, catching fish, fighting mosquitoes, and having more fun than you could shake a stick at, as Old Saul expressed it. This worthy personage was a whole circus in himself, and his greatest pride was in living up to his reputation, that of being the biggest liar in the Adirondacks. As he was a good talker and an adept at bringing out many strong points, I delighted in listening to his stories of wonderful adventures and hair-breadth escapes, which he would relate to us of an evening as we sat in our tent, or in a boat out on the pond engaged in fishing. Of course, I knew that they were the biggest kind of yarns, but the unsophisticated city youths believed that they were the solemn truth, as Brian, who was about Saul's equal in yarning, was in the habit of corroborating everything that Saul said and in their opinion Saul was a greater man than General Grant ever was. "'Tell you what,' old Saul said, aside to Dave Bryan and myself, "'you can make them air city chaps believe that the moon's made of green cheese, but they'll get initiated one of these days.' And many degrees were conferred on them by the old guide. For instance, he would tell them some blood-curdling story of panthers, and then, pretending to have heard one scream, he and Dave would rush out of the tent to listen, leaving the New Yorkers trembling with fear inside and myself convulsed with laughter. It was the third night of our stay in camp, and we were out on the pond engaged in fishing. Old Saul and the two Yorkers were in one boat, and Dave Bryan and myself occupied the other. But we were not far apart, but
but lay anchored side by side. It was the middle of June. The sky was cloudy and the night of Stygian darkness. Away off in the southwest we could hear the low rumbling of thunder, and occasionally flashes of lightning would dart across the sky. Off across the pond an owl was breaking the stillness by his continued and lonesome to-hoo, to-hoo, and the frogs croaked incessantly along the shores. It was just such a scene as old Saul delighted in, and he took the occasion to tell one of his wild stories. "'Dave,' said he, after we had fished in silence for some minutes, "'Dave, do you believe in ghosts?' "'Well,' drawled Dave, "'can't say that I do, though I've seen some strange things in my lifetime.' "'So have I, so have I,' said Saul. "'And this night makes me think of a strange experience I had once in these air parts. Did I ever tell you about it, Dave?' "'Guess not.' "'Well, twas about ten year ago.' and when I first commenced guiding in these woods. There used to be an old lumber camp across the pond yonder, and near the edge of a big swamp. Well, there used to be a story that, on a time, when a man by the name of whatever, well, it's queer I can't think of his name, but never mind, had a job there, and one day he got mad at his wife, for something or other, and he up and killed her, so they say, and buried her body in the swamp. Of course, I never believed the story. Well, one day I was guiding a party in the woods, and, as I said afore, being new at the biz, and not acquainted with the country, I lost my way, and we wandered around till it was nearly night, when we happened to run across the old lumber camp. I proposed to my companions that we roost there for the night, and they gladly consented, being bout tuckered out by their long tramp. I gathered some pine bows and made a kind of bed in a corner of the old shanty, and my companions throwed themselves down on it and were soon snoring. But somehow or other, I was not sleepy, and after laying there a while, I got up and went outdoors and sat down on a log in front of the shanty. It was just about this time of the year, and a night a good deal like this. It was thundering away in the west, and I knew it was going to rain, and I wondered if the old shanty would leak and we would get wet. Then as my thoughts turned to the shanty, I wondered whose shanty it was, and somehow or other my mind turned to the story of the shanty man who murdered his wife and buried her in a swamp, and I begun to speculate as to what foundation the story had on facts. As I sat there musing away, an owl, maybe the same darn critter we can hear tonight, only younger, was hooting away back in the woods and the night was lonely enough, I can tell you. The raindrops begun to patter on the roof of the shanty, and I got up and started to go inside, 
when I was startled to hear, a little ways off to the right, a low moan, as if some human being in distress. I stopped short and held my breath while I listened for a repetition of the noise. But after waiting for quite a spell without hearing anything but that old owl, I started on again. Moan, moan, there was no mistaking at this time, for I heard it as plain as day. But I didn't get scared, oh no. I reached in my pocket, kind of unconcerned-like, took out a plug of tobacco and took a chaw. Then I reached for my gun, which stood again the side of the shanty, and started in the direction from whence came the noise. I conjectured that the noise was made by some animal what was prowling round our camp, and meant to settle his hash in a hurry. I stumbled through the brush which grew round the shanty, the groans all the while growing louder and louder, and after going a few rods, as I live, I saw, looming up just before me, a... Uh, what this wonderful thing was that old Saul saw, looming up before him, we never found out, for just at this point his narrative was interrupted by a series of the most ear-piercing, terrifying screams that mortal man ever listened to ringing out in the night air. At the first cry I could see by the light of our lantern the faces of old Saul and Dave turn pale and their hair actually rise up. The two city youths sank down in a heap in the bottom of the boat, and I myself was as frightened as the rest. To add to the consternation, a gust of wind sent ahead by the approaching shower blew out our light and left us in total darkness. The lightning flashed, the thunder rolled, and down came the storm and smote amain the vessel in its strength, while above all arose those heart-rendering cries, and a loud splashing was heard down the pond, as if some mighty animal had jumped into the water and was swimming rapidly toward us. Part Two I think I was the first to come to my senses and to a realization of our apparent danger, and calling to old Saul to pull up the anchor of his boat and follow me, I took up the oars of my own boat and pulled rapidly up the pond in the direction of our camp. I wanted to get ashore and obtain a gun, as we had none in the boats. Then if the animal, whatever it was, should follow and attack us, we would have something to defend ourselves with. It was too dark to see what the occupants of the other boat were doing, but I could hear the dip of Saul's oars and him puffing and blowing, as if he were rowing for all his might. After a while he seemed to have stopped. I called out to him to come on, but received no response. All was as still as the grave, as the cries of the animal had also suddenly ceased. I asked Dave if we had not better go back and ascertain if Saul's party had been capsized or anything had happened to them. But he said, No, for God's sake. Let's tend to our own bacon and let them go to thunder. 
thinking myself that self-preservation was the first law of nature i pulled away and in the course of five minutes reached the shore the rain by this time was pouring down in torrents and we were wet to the skin as we were pulling our boat out of the water we thought we heard out in the pond a cry as from somebody in distress but after listening closely and hearing no more we concluded that we must have been mistaken we supposed we had landed near our camp and went hunting around in search of it but it did not take us long to discover that we had gone amiss and were we knew not where we searched and searched as well as we could in the darkness but found no familiar spot or object consulting as to what it was best for us to do we agreed that we could do nothing until it was daylight and finding a huge rock we climbed to the top and perched there impatiently awaited the coming of the dawn speculating as to the possible fate of our friends at last after seemingly weeks of waiting the morning dawned the beautiful sun came up dried our clothes and showed us where we were from our perch on the rock we could see that we had not landed anywhere near our camp but were fully a mile from it climbing down from our night's resting place we went down to our boat and were soon at home in our tent we waited there until noon in hopes that saul and his party would put in their appearance but as they did not we decided to go out to the settlement and organize a searching party to go out after them accordingly we started and had almost reached the clearing when we were rejoiced to meet a party of men and at their head old saul who were coming in to hunt us up old saul ran forward embraced and hugged us while the tears streamed down his cheeks by golly boys he said i thought you were goners never so tickled in my life to think we're all safe it seems that the experience of saul and the two with him was similar to that of dave and myself only instead of going to the camp in the morning they made a bee-line for town where the two new york men were glad to take to their beds while saul got several of the natives together to go in search of us we returned to the town tired but glad that we were alive and that evening we planned that on the next day we would all turn out and go in search of the panthers we had heard at the pond for panther we supposed it to be part three out from that peaceful settlement there rose a noisy happy company of us that pleasant summer morn nearly all of the natives who could shoot a gun and some who could not volunteered their services and even the small boys were anxious to join in the hunt and as we rode away the children stood watching us out of the town and we went forth with shining sword and poised lance to slay that animal if we get a chance as old saul expressed it it was a pleasure to me to witness the gay spirits of my companions 
who sang and shouted until the mountains rang with the echo. I was not long, however, in discovering that their joyfulness was not wholly caused by the brightness of the morn or anticipations of the day's chase, for we had not gotten fairly out of sight of the houses of the little village when old Saul reached in under the wagon seat and drew out a big jug which he raised in his hands high above his head and in a loud stage voice exclaimed here is some shining sparkling juice for which there's many and many a use twill break up a cold and cure a chill so come up all you duffers come up drink your fill whoa there driver let's oil up a little and oil up they did in first-class shape and on we went again the party numbered eight men besides myself all armed while several dogs of various breeds ran barking and snarling behind us it was our intention to ride as far as the rough road would admit for which purpose we had charted an old team of horses and a rickety wagon then we were to proceed on foot into the woods which surrounded the pond the scene of our recent adventure there we were going to separate and each man was to take up a station on the watch one of the men was to take the dogs and scout around the pond in hopes of having the canine scent the animal and drive it around where some of us could get a shot at it everything went according to arrangement after going as far as we thought advisable with the team we unharnessed the horses and tied them to the wheels of the wagon leaving a bundle of hay for them to eat we then proceeded a distance on foot and after a short consultation we separated before we did so the contents of the jug were emptied into pint bottles and every man except myself took one old saul strongly urged me to do so saying twon't hurt you and you'll need it to brace you up when you see that air panther coming toward you but thinking if such a result as having that panther coming toward me was likely i would be better prepared to face it with my sober senses and a clear brain i declined with thanks as we went crashing off through the brush to take up our positions we could hear the voice of old saul calling after us to look careful now boys and don't let the pesky critter scape you etc until we were far apart that the reader may better understand our positions a little explanation is necessary we were in the woods which surrounded the pond on the opposite side from where the camp we had occupied stood we were distant about twenty rods from the water and were to be arranged at about an equal distance from each other in a semicircle around the pond as many of the men believed that the animal was hiding in the immediate vicinity arranged as indicated we took up our stand i being the last one in the semicircle near the head of the pond it was past the noon hour when we got settled each in our place after waiting about a half hour 
I heard the dogs set up a furious barking in the direction that the man had gone to start them, and concluded that they had struck the track of the animal and was on the alert to shoot it if it came my way. I soon perceived, however, that the dogs were heading off in an opposite direction and going farther and farther away. Very soon they were out of hearing. Another hour passed away, and still no more was heard of the dogs or animals of which they were supposed to be in pursuit. I began to get a little lonesome and impatient for something to transpire. After waiting a few minutes longer, I thought I would go over to where my nearest neighbor was on the watch and have a little conversation with him to pass away the time. I accordingly walked off to the left about thirty rods to the place where I supposed him to be stationed, but he was not there, and I walked on still farther. Still nobody could I see. I shouted out several times, but received no answer except the echo of my own voice. Thinking that the man had gone down nearer the pond, I went in that direction. Hearing voices ahead of me, I hastened along, and soon came in sight of an old lumber shanty. The voices came from inside of this, and going forward, I pushed aside the rude door and entered. There inside were Old Saul, Dave Bryan, and the other six men of the party, all engaged in having a jolly time, to say the least. Their bottles, now nearly empty, they were brandishing in the air, while they performed a wild can-can around the room. They grabbed hold of me when I entered, and urged me to drink and join in their carousals but I refused and began to beseech of them to go home as night was coming on. They would listen to nothing, but again broke into a wild whirl of gaiety. Realizing the uselessness of pleading with them, and not wishing myself to spend the night in an old shanty, I left them in disgust and started for the settlement. As I went walking rapidly away from the shanty, I could hear the mellow voice of old Saul singing, Oh, it's up the river and down the creek, and it won't be day for an hour yet. I would rather hunt than to plow or sow, and I don't care whether I go home or no. I hastened on, and just as night was falling, I reached the little village whence we had started in the morning. That was the last I ever saw of old Saul, or any of the men, as I was called from the place early the following morning, and never knew at what time old Saul's party got out of the woods, or what became of the animal of which he went in search. I read in the Adirondack News of the following week this interesting piece of news, which sounded as if it had its origin with old Saul. A strange animal, whose size was nearly that of a Newfoundland dog, and whose cries were similar to those of a panther, only louder and more varied, was seen a few nights ago in the vicinity of Fisher's Pond by a guide named Hallway and a party with him. 
a party was organized next day to hunt for the animal. It was seen by Hallway, who shot several times at it, when it retreated into the woods crying furiously. Hallway deserves much credit for his bravery in the matter. He says he will yet have the animal's pelt. End of section 2